Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, an exclusive interview with a convicted murderer who was pardoned by President Trump. A fascinating story with countless twists and turns. This week on Full Measure, I guess you could call it a Christmas story of sorts, but not your typical Christmas story. I have the first television interview with someone I've reported on for a couple of years with great interest, Nick Slatton of Blackwater's Raven 2-3 team. I hope you watched the interview on Sunday, and I'll have a little bit of it later in this podcast. But first, with a story this complex, I think it's helpful to get some of the background. And for that, I'm going to play for you the very first story I did on the whole case. This aired on Full Measure on September 9th, 2018, and it will explain a lot. We begin with one of the most unusual and lengthy criminal court battles you may ever hear about. It all started in Iraq in 2007 with U.S. contractors accused of killing innocent civilians in the heat of war. One of the accused, a decorated former U.S. soldier, was on trial just this past week for a second time 11 years after the incident. In all, the lives of four decorated former U.S. soldiers still hang in the balance after all this time. Did they act in legitimate self-defense or are they criminals? And did our own government suppress and misrepresent evidence? Today's cover story is the lingering case of Raven 23. Target! The logical place to begin is in Iraq. At the time, one of the most dangerous places on the planet. After the 9-11 attacks, U.S. forces deposed dictator Saddam Hussein, then faced a constant barrage from Islamic extremist terrorists and insurgents. It was one of the worst killings of innocent civilians by U.S. contractors in Iraq. On September 16, 2007, there was a deadly clash in the capital of Baghdad. A team of former U.S. military troops, codenamed Raven 23, were working for the private firm Blackwater when they reportedly opened fire on innocent civilians. Killing more than a dozen. The episode heightened tensions between Iraq and the U.S., and the FBI stepped in to investigate. It concluded the Blackwater contractors unleashed powerful sniper fire, machine guns, and grenade launchers on innocent men, women, and children, shooting at least 14 without cause, including two boys ages 9 and 11. But like most stories, there are at least two sides. Eric Prince was Blackwater's founder. It's the story of American military veterans who answered the call again when their country needed them, this time to protect diplomats uh, in a very large scale in a war zone. And it is their political prosecution 
that fi- that followed a uh, unfortunate incident in the middle of a war zone after multiple enemy attacks. Prince, a former Navy SEAL, made Blackwater an integral part of U.S. overseas security after Islamic extremist terrorists bombed the USS Cole in 2000, murdering 17 sailors. Blackwater was hired to train our sailors in counterterrorism. In 2004, Iraqi insurgents killed four Blackwater contractors, set their bodies on fire, dragged them through the streets, and hung them from a bridge. In 2007, Blackwater's Raven 23 team was working for the U.S. State Department when a car bomb exploded. They were called to move a U.S. diplomat out of the danger zone to safety. What was the claim from the other side? What did they say that your guys had done wrong? They claimed that it was a, uh, uh, a, a bad firing, that there was all these innocent civilians uh, that were killed. In fact, to this day, media accounts make it sound as if the Blackwater guards randomly opened fire on Iraqi civilians unprovoked and for no reason. But Prince says that sorely lacks context. The Raven 23 team thought it had come under ambush trying to escort the U.S. official to safety. The car bomb had gone off and the support team, Raven 23, was to block uh, the traffic circle so the, uh, the fleeing vehicles could move through there uh, smoothly. All the vehicles stopped except for one, which kept coming and coming and coming. It was a white Kia. The Blackwater team reported the white Kia was driving straight at the convoy like a suicide bomber. When it kept going, despite verbal orders and hand signals to stop, at least one Blackwater guard fired, killing the driver and his mother. Iraqis began firing back, and a full-blown firefight broke out. Call for them as backups. Reba and Daryl Slatten are the parents of one of the Blackwater guards, Nick Slatten. So your understanding is that car to them was seen as a threat, somebody yes. that maybe maybe a car bomb. Exactly, a car bomb. That's what it was. Stop, stop, stop. Keeps coming. They had been actually um, briefed that morning on being on the lookout for a white Kia because it's probably a car bomb. Iraqi investigators and the FBI said panic and animosity toward the locals drove some members of Raven 23 to commit a criminal massacre. When you heard this report, did it ever occur to you that these men would end up being criminally prosecuted? When I first heard the report of of the events of September 16, it actually sounded like dozens and dozens of other incidents uh, that the guys had been in and subject to uh, in Iraq in war zones. Remember. Helicopters are shot down, vehicles blown up, men shot by snipers, by suicide vests, by every kind of, of uh, danger you could face. 41 of our men had been killed in action doing that work for the U.S. government and, you know, hundreds wounded on top of that. What do you think made this one different? Um, this was the height of the surge and it was also the height of real anti-war uh, noise and, and protest in the United States. Why didn't Blackwater follow its own policies? Blackwater and other private contractors were also under increasing attack in Congress over allegations ranging from poor supervision to harmful misconduct. After the murky and disputed accounts of the tragedy in Iraq involving Raven 23, The pursuit of criminal charges against Slatton and the other Blackwater guards has spanned three U.S. presidential administrations. In 2008, Slatton and four others, all decorated former military soldiers, 
were charged with multiple counts of manslaughter. A year later, all the charges were thrown out due to misconduct by prosecutors. In 2011, prosecutors refiled charges, then dropped them against one man after new allegations of prosecutor misconduct. Among the four left, Nick Slatton was hit hardest. This time, instead of manslaughter, the Justice Department charged him with first-degree murder, accusing him of firing the first shot at the Kia driver, even though teammate Paul Slough had admitted to doing so. But Nick Slatton's sister, Jessica, is an attorney. Multiple other upgunners shot into the car because the car kept coming. My brother never shot the Kia. Um, the government has known that since day one. The Slattons say Nick told them not to bother to come from Tennessee to the first trial, a joint trial held in Washington, D.C. in 2014. He said, Mom, I'm not a murderer. I didn't shoot the driver of the white Kia. So don't come up here. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. I'll see you. So I thought he was coming home. At that first trial, Slatton was forbidden from telling the jury that one of his co-defendants had admitted to the shooting he was accused of. All four men were convicted. All of them except Slatton got 30 years in prison. Slatton got life for first-degree murder. So what did it make you think as a mom when you thought he was just doing his job and you heard that he was being perceived as a criminal? I couldn't believe that the United States was doing this to my son, who served four years in the 82nd Airborne and loves this country. I was in shock. There will come a time you'll see. But the story was far from over after the 2014 trial. The convictions started a movement by family members and advocates. For them, a big break came last year. An appeals court determined the sentences were cruel and unusual punishment and threw them out. And it said Slatton deserved a new trial because jurors have been kept from hearing key evidence in his defense. That new trial began in Washington, D.C. in July. This time, Slatton's parents, grandmother, and sister were all there. And this time, jurors finally got to hear that Slatton's teammate had acknowledged shooting the driver of the white Kia, the one prosecutors accused Slatton of murdering. But this past Wednesday, after a month of deliberations, the trial, Slatton's second, ended with no resolution, a hung jury. The Justice Department declined our request for comment and hasn't yet said whether it will try Slatton yet again. Slatton's family says Nick is the victim of a malicious prosecution and our government's misguided attempt to use Raven 23 as a symbol of accountability in an unpopular war. This case has brought me to understand that we don't really live in a country of justice and truth. It's about the check in the winner's column, and that's what our justice system is today. Totally corrupt. So Slatton and the other Raven 23 members have been charged, had charges dropped, were recharged and convicted, then they had those sentences thrown out. All are still in prison while the Justice Department decides on next steps. Meantime, they've served more than four years. That's longer than a Blackwater colleague who pled guilty a decade ago to voluntary manslaughter and served a year and a day. So again, that was the original story that I did in September of 2018. Since that time... Nick Slatton was tried again, so at his third trial, the jury convicted him of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Three of his former fellow team members of Raven 2-3, who'd had their sentences thrown out, 
got new sentences that were shorter, but also were still serving time in prison. Then this story took a new turn, yet another turn, with Donald Trump. Shortly before Trump left office, he issued a pardon for the Raven 2-3 members. After a short break, you'll hear about that pardon from Nick Slatton himself in his first television interview. A few of you have asked how you can support independent journalism like you find at Full Measure and CherylAxon.com amid an increasingly managed and censored information landscape. At my website, Google Ads and Facebook have censored factual, footnoted, and cited posts, and Google demands daily that I remove dozens of pages from my website, which I won't do. These are factually accurate, cited news stories on topics that powerful interests apparently don't want you to know about. Well, now you can support off-narrative journalism by visiting the Cheryl Ackeson store at CherylAckeson.com for products that will tell the world you're an independent thinker And there are great gift ideas there for your independent thinking friends and family, too. Proceeds go to support a variety of independent journalism causes besides maintaining the website, including funding college journalism awards for independent, off-narrative student reporting. You can make a difference. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're back, and now you're going to hear an excerpt from my interview with former Raven 2-3 team member Nick Slatton, convicted of first-degree murder after three separate trials, serving time in prison, then learning shortly before Christmas last year that President Trump had pardoned him and the other members of Raven 2-3. So after you were convicted in the third trial... What was your sentence, and what did you think the rest of your life was going to be like? It sounds like you were still fighting, but were you also becoming reconciled to, I could have walked out of here if I'd have taken a deal, but now I may die in prison? No, ma'am. Uh, I was sentenced to life in prison again, and I always knew that God was going to deliver me. I knew that uh, I had returned to him with my whole heart, and I knew that some way I was walking out, I'd always teach Bible study in those jails, and I'd tell the guys, you know, if you believe God created everything with a word, he can handle anything you got going on. And um, there was one point when I was in jail, this was after I'd been sentenced to life in prison for the second time. There was a riot that broke out, and um, the prisoners set the microwave on fire. They ran the guards out of the unit, and so... Basically, the prisoners had control of the unit for a little while, and they were breaking the sprinklers, just acting crazy. And so I just went to my cell, got my Bible, and pulled it out and started reading it. And one of my friends saw that I had left. He just went by and shut my door. And so when that happens in that little jail, is like electronically locked, so I can't open the door. They can only open it from a control center outside of the unit. And so my cellmate, who's 
participating in the ride. He was a young kid. He's caught out there. He can't get back in the cell. And so when the riot team comes in with their shields and their tear gas and their flashbang grenades, they drag him out. And after that, they were very mean to us. They uh, were starving us. They would bring us styrofoam trays. That way it looked good for the camera. But there was literally like this much food. It was like two bites of food. And so, I mean, we were hungry. And I would always read Psalms 91. That's the first thing I read every morning. And Psalms 91 Verse 3 says, Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. And that day, I still got the Bible. I boxed it in, fowler's snare, the word fowler's snare. And it made me mad. I was like, that's where I'm at. And it says, surely. I'm like, God, you say you will surely save me from the fowler's snare. And then immediately, I hear a voice. And it sounds like it's coming from the speaker box that's in the cell where you can push a button, a panic button, basically, if anything's happening. And... It says, Slatten, pack your stuff. You got a presidential pardon. And this was years before the pardon even happened, right? And so I'm like, man, I'm going crazy. I ain't had enough food. Something's wrong with me. And so they finally let us out of our cells a few days after that. And I call my sister, and she's like, have you talked to anybody? I said, no, I've been locked down. They had a riot. She said, well, the New York Times reported that President Trump is considering pardoning soldiers accused of war crimes. And it mentioned you by name. And that article was dated the exact day that I heard the voice. So I'm like, I tell my sister, I said, God told me I'm going to get pardoned. She's like, yeah, whatever, bro. You know, you're going crazy. But from that day forward, it was just like, I would always say that. I was like, I'm going to get pardoned in the name of Jesus. And we'd have Bible study. I'm sure a lot of the guys were like, yeah, this dude's nuts. But there was one kid who was with me for that whole time, from the time that I heard the voice to the time that I actually, and he actually got to see me leave. So like he was crying and it was just amazing moment just for God to fulfill his word. Can you tell me about the moment and how you heard it really happened? It wasn't just a voice. Right. So that's kind of funny. Uh, I was just sitting in my cell, the little jail I was in because of COVID, they were only letting a few out at a time. So basically the top tier would come out for a little while. They'd lock them back down, and then the bottom tier would come out for a little while. I was on the bottom tier. The top tier was out on wreck, and they came by and just slid a note under my door. And this little jail had, like, tablets that you could rent. And uh, one of the news feeds said we were pardoned. You mean you, f you just read it on a news feed? No, I read it on a note. One of the other prisoners slid a note under my door, and I opened it up, and it's like four Blackwater contractors pardoned by President Trump. And I was like... And so my buddy had a tablet in the cell. I was like, look at this. And he was like, that's you, man. He, he pulled it up, and he's like, here. And it had a phone on it, too. And he's like, call your family. And so I called. Do you just sort of go into an out-of-body experience? Like, are you, do you, does everything slow down? Like, what happened when you got that information? I didn't feel any different. I think it's just because I had that peace that passes understanding from the time that I returned to God and the time that, like, it's like he just protected me through so much in my life, and I always knew that he would deliver me. So it was just like I didn't feel any different. I just feel blessed. So I don't I don't feel any different today than I did then. I just feel like that God's got His hand on me, and that. So when that, you made the call, you called your wife, I assume first. No, I called I called my sister. Uh, she was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, Not your sister, but your wife. Yeah, my <laughs> wife. She we got married after I got out, but. My sister, she picks up and she's like, yes, it's for real. 
So and, she already knew. And a couple of my buddies had already been released. So, wow. and they were working on getting me out. Apparently the, uh, the system had lost me. So like I was in federal custody, but they were doing a courtesy hold in this little local jail in Virginia. And so they didn't know where I was. So it took a while for them to track me down and to So how out. long from the time you got word that a pardon had come until you actually walked out free? It was like an hour and a half. Yeah. Wow. Any response from people in the jail or any officials or just, hey, yeah. good luck? What, what was it? It was funny because uh, when we came out for our wreck, like we still had Bible study, like I still led Bible study, but my cellmate, he was pretty crazy. He made an announcement, like they do that all the time in jail. He's like, listen up, you know, and everybody... <laughs> gets quiet he's like my man here just got pardoned by president trump and so the prisoners started you know kicking the doors and yelling and stuff and the and the officer in there like he got nervous and was like about to call for backup or whatever it was funny so you got out and um did you just spend a, how long have you been out now since december 22nd so of 2020 coming on a year pretty soon yes ma'am did you decide right away that you would be active and maybe trying to help other people that were in predicaments? So that was something that God laid heavy on my heart that I was suffering for a reason. And I started learning that there were other soldiers, sailors and Marines and airmen in similar situations that basically were locked up for making a split this second decision in combat and um I always said that if the Lord saw fit to let me out, that I would fight for him. You know, I, I believe that uh, if our men and women go to war, we should have their back no matter what. They should never have to choose between a casket or a prison cell. And I saw that a lot over there. These young soldiers were afraid to engage because if they got it wrong, they would go to prison. And they got killed because of it. I mean, it's just crazy. So I would encourage everybody that's watching this to go to freecalvingibbs.com. Staff Sergeant Calvin Gibbs, he's a prisoner of war in his own country as well, same as I was. He um, has been charged with three murders. One of the murders, one of the incidents, one of the bodies, he was actually engaged by an enemy combatant, and there was a witness that was there on his team that engaged that combatant as well who wasn't allowed to testify on his behalf. And so what drew me to Staff Sergeant Gibbs' case was the fact that he refused to plead guilty, same as I did. So they offered him a deal. He wouldn't take it. He said, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't execute anybody, right? The other two victims that he's charged with, he was not even at the scene when they were killed. So how can you premeditate murder if you're on the other side of the village when these people are killed? And then biometric data came back on all three and showed that they were Taliban. So it's like you're prosecuting a man. You're withholding from his jury that one of them was an actual gun battle. The other two, he wasn't even on the scene. All this was kept from his jury. And biometric data that shows that the dead are actually Taliban. So it's just, it blew my mind when I read his case. His case is even more crazy than mine was. And so immediately I started reaching out to people and trying to figure stuff out. And Louisiana, 
they have passed this resolution in their state Republican committee, which is basically asking for post-war amnesty. And so I would encourage everybody to call your congressman, to call Louisiana's federal congressman, because the state level has already done it. So call Louisiana's federal congressman and be like, look, we know this is on your desk. We know you're considering it. Please sign it. So if we can get a federal congressman to come out in support of this post-war amnesty, and basically that's asking for everybody that served in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria to get amnesty, to let them go. Because our country has let 5,000 Taliban go. Why wouldn't you let our boys go? And so Staff Sergeant Calvin Gibbs is just one that I can hold up. Like, I've talked to him. He's my friend. He's my brother. I love him. Um, he's actually innocent, and he's serving a life sentence, and nobody knows his name. So I appreciate you letting me say his name on your show. That was Nick Slatton. You can hear the entire story this coming Sunday, December 19th, on Full Measure. And as always, if you want to find a station near you that airs Full Measure, go to CherylAckeson.com, click the Full Measure tab, and there's a station list. But if you don't have a station near you, you can always watch online at fullmeasure.news, fullmeasure.news. We're live at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time online at fullmeasure.news. Also, replays most any time. We post the program at fullmeasure.news around 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. In fact, you can watch replays of the past week's show right now. You can also download our app, STIR, S-T-I-R-R, to watch Full Measure live or on demand and lots of other cool programming, including entertainment, movies, and local news. But if you really are interested in a deep dive on this particular topic, you can hear more of the interview with Slatten on my other podcast this week, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast. You'll hear him tell his side of the whole prosecution, the three trials, and what he says really happened on the ground that day in question. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit CherylAckeson.com and the new store under the store tab at CherylAckeson.com for products that will help you support independent journalism and put a smile on your face and show people where you stand as an independent thinker. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.